0: And we are rolling, all right, Tony. Thank you for today. No, man, my pleasure. Thank you for dinner. No, it's all right. And thank you for the um, for those poor souls, unfortunate enough to listen to this right now. We are poor souls staring at a terrible array of whiskey. We've already had. It is quite ridiculous. We're two whiskey fiends, and this is a podcast that you know. What part of the reason why I chose Price of Entry is because. It means I can talk about multiple topics <clears throat> and oh, not yeah. be stuck. So you know, price of entry into whiskey and being a, a whiskey a whiskey aficionado or connoisseur it's a fl- it's a slippery slope. It is so slippery. It's st- for me. It started
1: in COVID because I was super bored and I started like with everything nowadays. Started with TikTok and I actually <laughs> saw this guy from Nonsuch, Um and he was just talking about whiskey in plain terms that I understood and I was like, no one has ever explained whiskey in this way. I have to, A, support this guy because he couldn't do tours at his distillery in Tasmania Um, and TikTok just blew up for him and he was getting orders from everywhere and I was like, I I need to try this for myself because I thought that the longer a whiskey was aged, the better it is when really that's more to do with... Yeah, it's more to do with like... The the size of the cask or the barrel that it was um, that it was in. Sorry, one sec. No, not a problem um, at all. I'm just going to put this phone on silent. But. The The big thing was uh, getting into oh. it originally, moving down the path of buying a bottle from Nunsuch and going, well, yep. oh, that's that's a fair bit to pay. And then finding out about other distilleries like mm. Lark, yep. where I've gone really down the rabbit hole. So, yep. um, you've seen on my Insta where I got the Para 50 and the Para 100, which are aged in um, these tawny carts from Sepetsfield, which is like the only yep. Australian wine to ever get a 100 score from James Halliday. Yeah. And then they had the Christmas release. He had the Quiet Cannon Rum and the Symphony Number One, which is their first blended. And like you said, what is the price of entry?
0: Once you're in that rabbit hole, it is high. <laughs> and and how much does it spoil you for other things all of a sudden? Understanding and I think there's, I think you hit a few <clears> misnomers <throat> within the the whiskey scene as well. Is many people think the longer it's aged, better it tastes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's definitely one. Honey. Mm. Honey yeah a couple of the misnomers within the industry is one is yeah that the longer it's aged and the marketing is what gets you as well because mm. the market and the bigger brands <laughs> market particularly that the longer it's aged the better it's going to taste and they charge mm. you you know exponentially for the year's age for how much the bottle actually costs yeah and the other one is that blended is no good you'd get you know the kind of the turn you know nose gets turned up when you mention any blended whiskies because that's kind of associated with your johnny walkers and your mm. jim beams and those sorts of ones you know jim beams more bourbon but um a great blended craft whiskey is phenomenal yeah and it's yeah you shouldn't stay away from it i reckon i, actually, I think that's why it's it's not only good to support australian distilleries mm. but just to
1: get around some of the smaller makers because they can craft it. Mm. Like you got, like we got to understand. Johnny Walker's got a budget, right? And they've got to meet targets. They've got marketing to do. So, you know, with that much volume, you're not going to get. I mean, they can get a level of consistency, but the price is really in the in the marketing budget. It's not necessarily in, into the, the taste. Uh, yeah. Like some of these just blow the major labels out of the water. Yeah. So for those listening, we are up to none such distilleries, uh, single malt, port, single cask. You know, five hundred mil, and it is fifty-one and a half percent, and it is actually That's cast strength. strength. That's cast, nice. Yeah, you don't even have, have to add down. ice. Mm. You don't even add ice. Like some cast strengths, I've I've purposefully even the Avalor, I put a block of ice in there because it releases more flavors. Yeah, and that was one of the things that you know, Chris, the distiller at Nunsuch, that he's big on in TikTok is that when that comes out, like the brewer adds water. Some mm. people say, oh, you can't add ice to your whiskey but he's like it's really just preference mm. you know it's at
0: what level does it become enjoyable because and no one should tell you what is the right or wrong way to drink and it's the same you know I used to work at a place called Archie Rose which was a distillery that started up with um, gin because it's a lot quicker to make with the goal to produce whiskey down the track mm. so made the whiskey up front put it in barrels and and was biding their time and their whole you know thing especially at the bar that they have there with gin and tonic is people all the time be like I oh, just make me gin and tonic it's like <clears> cool we give you the glass, the ice, we're maybe a garnish a pear, which was different, which was delicious. Mm-hmm. They put the gin in there and then they give you the tonic on the side. And people were like, oh, no, 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 you just mix it for me. It's like, no, 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 no. It's a really tasty gin. It's got a lot of character. It's got a lot of different notes. The tonic will complement it, but that's exactly it. It complements it to what you want. So you just put in a little bit, little bit, till you figure out what works for you, what your palate can. Hey, I'm a sucker for your... Um, Ardbeg, your Laphroaig, Lagavulin, Mm. like, rip my face off. Not quite your um, Octomore-level peat, but some of your Brookladdick laddies from Isla and everything. Just the peatiness. I love that. My palate Mm, wraps mm. up, but I also drink black coffee all day. No problem. I don't have a sweet tooth in me at all. So, that's my palate. Not everyone's going to like that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, you need to explore. I reckon would be my advice to anyone getting
1: into whiskey. 100%. I I actually didn't like the darker coloured whiskies until I sort of understood where the colour came from. And that some are artificially coloured. Yeah. That used to be a thing. Yeah. It like, still is. Like, this is quite a, a rich brown, but it's all—it's almost got, like, red elements to it mm. from the port cast because they're very small casts. Mm. And it, the the darkness is not... It doesn't really convey much peatiness. No. It's, like, I find that I'm enjoying more whiskies when they have that note of toffee and yep. apricots and... I guess even sometimes like a spiced plum, yep. um, which is
0: which will be our next one, which is in the Christmas cast release number two from Lark. It's really fruity. It's good. Fun fact about the um, anything that's in a podcast these days is my wife and I did our um, honeymoon over in Isla in Scotland. So and we were there during the off season, so we had distilleries to ourselves. So we just got mm. to chew the ear off these people that live and breathe it. And one of the things that I'm mentioning is. Um, our generation doesn't drink port. We're like, yeah, yeah. tell us something we don't know. We drink whiskey. And they're like, well, that's the problem. If you like port, cask, whiskey, they're running out of barrels. Mm. And they're saying that in a few years' time, there will be a shortage because they won't be able to keep up with demand. Sure. Some people are still drinking port, mm. but port, um, sherry casks is another one. Oh, yeah, that makes um, sense. Port and sherry casks, are, sherry casks are going to become more limited – sooner rather than later port will have a little bit more legs, um, especially because Australia's got quite a, quite a few good ports mm, in mm. Um, Australia that are still going to be able to produce those barrels that the distillers are going to be able to get their hands on. But they were saying mainly, particularly sherry casks. Mm. How drinking drink sherry? So get that, it while you can. <laughs> that, like that absolutely makes
1: me... Like when I got those... So the Power 50, the Power 100, and I've just entered the lottery for the Vintage 19, mm. um, which costs an ungodly amount of money just to put a holding deposit, so that I can maybe draw my number. You better but, put it on a Tesla Cybertruck or something like that. Oh, level! Well, that's another. That's another. That's a tangent. Um, that's only a 150 deposit though, not a 1950 deposit. But this this Vintage 19, you know, I was reading about different asset classes, and whiskey as an asset class is outpacing uh, art. You're kidding. So, it's the the value of whiskey is increasing at a rate like that is infinitely greater than, than art and, and a few other sort of limited edition collectibles. And what is investing in whiskey? What's what? So, buying limited runs. So, right. things that are, are going to disappear. Um, younger, successful professionals and from countries that have got this booming new rich generation, they want to have something that other people don't. And in a whiskey world, uh, recently, I think it was a bottle of... I'm gonna someone's gonna fact check this online, but it's it's a it's a Scottish bottle, but it was once one of a kind, hand painted and sold for over two million dollars. And it was it was a release from nineteen sixty seven or something to that effect. So there are bottles that were released ten years ago that are now maybe they sold for fifteen hundred dollars and they are now going for ten
0: thousand if you can find an unopened bottle on market. And that makes sense given again, the craft boom within mm, um the industry of from beer to wine, the sort of, you know, smaller single vineyard producers that are coming out and whiskey, craft whiskey distilleries are a thing now, yeah. and I and reckon I've got this interesting theory, it's completely unfounded, just a Brendan thought, that <laughs> the, you know, around the sort of 2014 mark is when we had the craft beer boom. Oh, so, as we were gro- going out of high school, um, craft beer started becoming a thing. There was James Squires, there was... Um, little creatures came onto the scene around there. And our generation, as we were starting to drink alcohol, started drinking craft beer at the same time. And all of a sudden, we weren't just drinking what our dads drank or our grandparents drank. Yeah. Um, unless it's a Melbourne tinny on a hot day, and then it's just, you know, cool and hits the do. Yeah. Um, so we got blooded and got introduced to the idea of craft, that there is mm. different things. We built up a tolerance for exploring flavours mm. and palates mm. and things that are completely foreign. But, hey, start it, let's give it a crack. Mm. And then along comes craft whiskey. And our demographic is now going, let's try it. Let's go to your Lark Bakery Hill. Um, The list can go on and on and on. And they're opening so regularly now Mm. that in years' time, there will be a number of craft whiskey distilleries that will have a lot of those small batch stuff that you're talking about. Yeah, well, that's that's what's interesting is that the Australian whiskey scene –
1: and by no means I'm not an expert I've only just gotten into this now because of my
0: COVID obsessive nature where I just COVID hobbies hobbies that's a whole other podcast like what did you start in COVID that you can't give up? Oh now uh, (laughs) rum, whiskey and cigars
1: so that was my like straight up the three things that expensive hobbies that COVID introduced me to Um, but the reason, like what attracted me to these Lark ones, is that Lark is one of, the, I guess, the godfathers of Australian whiskey. 100%. That vintage run where you have to actually get in a lottery—they've made it so that there's 200 bottles. Get them if you want, but at 19 years, aside from an 18-year-old whiskey that was released by a Perth unit in 2019, that was 18-year matured. Lime burners? Uh, I don't know if it was lime burners. Right, I don't know. Um, I can't remember because I was checking, I was doing my research to see if this was a worthwhile investment because I'm treating it like an investment. Lover. And, and it, at 19 years, it would make it um, arguably the oldest Australian whiskey ever released. True. Because um, it was aged for 19 years because a lot of our stuff is small batch, which doesn't affect flavour, <laughs> but um, there, there are levels of complexity that come with mm. age. So, mm.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. We've completely side-rolled your uh, podcast. (laughs) No, this is – that's why I named it price of entry because we can talk about these different things and and (laughs) if you're thinking about getting into it, we are outlaying the cost of investment, the cost of entry into this is a fair bit of research and by research we mean tasting Mm. um, and a few things to be aware of. One being don't let age sway you. Yeah. Um, another thing I'd say would be colour. When I was at Archie Rose, they released a, a whiskey called a six-malt new make. Mm. And by new make, it hadn't been aged in barrels yet. Mm. So, it was clear. And there was a really funny thing that would happen with customers. They'd be like, it's not a whiskey. It's like, well, actually, the way it's made is what makes it a whiskey. Mm. Mm. Um, that's like saying, I don't know, beer not being in a can is not beer. It's like, well, no, it can come in other methods as well. Yep. And the flavor was there, and it had this incredible oily chocolate aftertaste. Six different malts. So there was like mm. a chocolate mold. There was the complexity. It was one of the most complex whiskeys I've ever tasted. Crystal clear, like a vodka. But mm. it put people off because they'd look at the bottle and go, it's not a whiskey. I'm not interested. It's like, well, it's, it's crazy. You're missing out on something phenomenal. <laughs> oh,
1: man. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah no. I, I'm all for that new experimentation. We were talking about it earlier, but Four Pillars has done really yeah. well with that. And you were saying as well that Archie Place. Yeah, but mate. Cheers to um,
0: cheers to a good drop, to a, a very good drop. Appreciate it. Hmm. I love, I love that. That's got great, t- great taste. Yeah, fills the whole mouth. A little bit oily. And for a cask strength at what, was it 50.3? 51.5. 51.5. It doesn't rip your face off too much. It doesn't leave you too much of that alcohol burn. So I feel like some cask strengths can be, it's it's so weird. Two drinks with the same ABV, Hmm. completely different, well, obviously, flavor profiles, but the amount of alcohol burn that you feel afterwards, Hmm. which obviously you don't want, but you want that punch, um that balances it out really well it's probably the port factor in it mellows it out quite nicely definitely so did you just buy that online
1: uh yeah yeah just ordered it from his website none such distillery in Tasmania excellent yeah. and um he has a range of stuff but it really comes and goes because there's only ever like 40 to 60 barrels of anything like 40 sorry 40 to 60 bottles of anything because he's such a small place and most of those just sell out yeah do they yeah, yeah right. they go pretty quick um but that was that was all down to his social media marketing, which was uh, consistency. You know, he just constantly put out content, and it was just educational, interesting, funny, engaging. It was basic, but he was an affable, likable fellow, and because he was consistent and he was genuine, people just were attracted to that and were drawn to that. And I still remember when he had uh, maybe a hundred followers on TikTok, and I was one of them, and. There was something, something of his went viral. I think when he was talking about, you know, there's nothing wrong with adding a bit of water to your vodka, to your whiskey if it makes it taste better to you, and it just exploded, you know, in the comment section and, mm-hmm. and in the algorithms. And overnight, he went to like twenty-seven thousand something followers, and you know, and his store started selling out. And he can't sell international, so that upset a few people. But yeah, yeah he's Australian. Stock took off, and I, I hope he's selling out all day, every day, because he can't have people down for tours. Mm. I don't think just yet. Right?
0: Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to interview a distiller at some stage for this, mm. and and ask them the question if they think there is any other distiller that would have a problem with someone putting a couple of drops of water in their whiskey that they make. In my experience, from those that I've talked to, the answer would be no, mm. because they know that a couple of drops some ice can open it up it's yeah. chemistry <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah um there's nothing wrong with that but you mentioned the the social media marketing side of things and i think that's a good segue talk about what you do yeah and you know we will obviously go into a little bit of how you go about what you do but you're obviously a husband father two boys that yep. love their fortnight as i found out over dinner and i <laughs> you fell into that ended. well you know i jumped into it i'd did my best to not show my age and tried holding a conversation with a seven-year-old about Fortnite. Mm-hmm. I think I lasted about five minutes. No, you killed it. He, <laughs> thinks, he thinks you're into it. <laughs> so he really knows Fortnite. It's like, I've, uh, yeah, no, I've never played it in my life. Um, not to say that I don't play video games, but that's a conversation for another time. So you're a father and a husband, and what else do you do if you're at a an event, a party? Yeah, change to a bunch of people that you don't know and they ask that question. So what do you do for a job? How do you answer that question?
1: Uh, I, look, I honestly, I, I'm transitioning and answering that question because for the longest time, you know, I, I used to say oh, I'm a banker. Oh, and what banker. reaction did you get when you said that? Oh, uh, like it was never, like it, I wouldn't say you ever got any really like excited reactions. It's quite a boring sort of, people see it as a pretty straight-laced, boring job. Um you know, and then when we started our business uh, in 2016, you know, we'd say, yep, yeah, we're brokers. Um, but now with the team we have, you know, people say, what do you do? And I, I Honestly, I'm replying to that now saying, look, I, I have two finance companies because it's more than just me now. Um, there's definitely there's JK Finance, which is the one Luke and I originally started. And we are still brokers in that and we still do help clients face to face. We have a team built around that. But what is growing now and where we've put a lot of investment and time and money into is our finance family company, which is basically assisting bankers become brokers with all the support they need. So if if we tried in JK and it doesn't work, it goes in the bin. If it works, we then build on that, get it perfect, and then roll it out for our finance family brokers. So we have been constantly, every six months, reviewing the process. What can we do better? What technology is out there that didn't exist before? How can we... Just be on our toes at all times, and and the result of that has been some hits, some misses. But all the hits have gone straight to the finance family, so that's they're the beneficiaries of that, and that's where we've um, invested recently. The guy who redid after pays marketing before their IPO has uh-huh. just redone finance family for us. What a get!
0: Yeah, how'd so. that happen? Also, by the way, slight slight. We need a cheers to this. So yes, what we are need we? What cheese. are we having now?
1: So this one here is Lark's Single Malt Christmas Cast Release Number Two. It's a forty-five percent ABV. It's a twenty-twenty limited release. Um, this one has some really fruity flavors to it, and I, I love that. I'm not a. It doesn't have to be bitter and shocking for me to think.
0: Oh, it's a real man's whiskey. But this is fruity as it gets. It smells like a Christmas tart on the nose. It's a good kind of tart.
1: Yeah. Oh, Christmas pud.
0: Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. Raisins. Yeah. Christmas pudding grandma's put way too much rum on the pudding porridge <laughs> it. again it's, yeah but that's delicious
1: oh it's it's like really the smooth spice
0: without it being spicy yeah
1: yeah it's it's that christmas spice like sort of like a cardamom mm, yeah cinnamon it's not like a a white pepper
0: no that you get with some spicy rums but it's good it's that's good. delicious that's delicious so yes. finance family has been where yeah so so that's where we're putting
1: our focus and our effort um through our accountants future advisory um they had to go through in two weeks they had to start afresh and so they went from brand a which will not mention, to future advisory and this guy you know pivoted they've been working together for years and within two weeks they had a brand new brand which looked absolutely sleek and we went holy cow how did you guys come up with such smooth, well-cultivated branding in two weeks? Like, this this should take ages to develop. And they said, well, we went with this guy. And this guy that looks after after we're like, all right, let's 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 talk to him. So, yeah, we got him on board. And funnily enough, my business partner, as a joke, always says that, oh, I'm glad I convinced Tony to, to go through this process because I was the one that was with it. He was the one that was like, I don't know about this man. I don't know about this man. He doesn't seem... Like he doesn't even have an email signature. What is he doing? You know? But it was a case of, you know, the mechanic who doesn't look after his own car type thing. A builder I mean, whose house is not quite finished. It's Yeah, a builder who doesn't, you know, do his own renovations type stuff. Yeah. And when we saw his work and he showed us, like, this is what it looks like, we were like, Oh my goodness, that is that is chalk and cheese to what we had before. And um and it pivoted it can, it, it was one of the reasons we even pivoted from leaving our current office to getting a place in um, sort of Main Street, Berwick Village Mm. um, to have street frontage because we now have a brand that we'd be glad to put in neon lights. Whereas before it was something that we came up with um, that accidentally looked like a Foo Fighters roof off. We didn't even realise until after we'd done it. But it was okay. But it was just, no, not not something that we could feel comfortable putting on merch, going big on social media with, what have you not. But this new brand is, um, yeah,
0: it's given us the courage to take our business to the next level. That's awesome and that's a great summation of where you're at now and I think you've given some very, very good throwaway comments that led to that where mm. you are now. So, where did JK Finance start? Where was sort of the <laughs> the beginning <laughs> point, the glimmer in the there's, eye? There's an excellent story
1: behind that. The glimmer, the glimmer behind the glimmer was I sat down with – one of my mentors um i won't mention his name because he's a private man mm. but he has done very well for himself over the years and i met him while working at nab and, and how I old just, are you at this point sorry how old are you at this point at that point i would have been it was like 2000 and it was the start of 2016 so five years ago i would have been 27 yep. yeah 27 yeah yeah so i was 27 um sitting down he's a he's a client of the Carlton Business Banking Center and I and I just got introduced to him you know the business banker said hey Tony you should meet this guy I feel like he's something you you know somebody you could learn from and, and be good to know and I met him and then at that meeting his nephew stepped along and his nephew was a broker and I was a banker and he and he was dressed sharp he looked relaxed as all get out and I was like well you're a lending right how come you don't look like 55 from all the stress? And <laughs> shirt
0: <Entire>, shirt untucked. <laughs> he looked like
1: he, he was tanned, he was ripped. And I was just like, this guy, what are you doing? And and he was talking to me about the numbers and how many loans he was doing. And I was like, you're doing what? And it was less than half of the target the bank had given me. And I, I'd sweat bullets just to punch it all. It's like that kid's toy where you've got circle, square, triangle, and you've got to get the blocks to fit through the right shape. Well, I only had access to a triangle. Um, that's NAF, right? I would say that's true of
0: most uh, lending professionals within the big four. <laughs>
1: well, for 1,000% because yep. it's like a car salesman. They work for Mazda. And maybe this year Mazda are a great build, a <laughs> good price, and they look sexy. Next year, they've got a new designer, their pricing's off, and the cars aren't as safe as a Kia. But Mazda's never going to tell you, go buy a Kia.
0: I've been both. Yep. I've worked in a bank and for Toyota. I get it. Yeah, hundred percent true. No one's so going to tell go, you. Oh, I'm going to go buy the Mazda three because I'm 19 and female, and it looks good. And the Corolla and Yaris look terrible. I don't want to be seen in that car. And you go fair.
1: Yeah, that's it. You know what I mean? What are you, gonna, you can't. There's no clapback to that.
0: Yeah. There's no clapback. So yep.
1: you know, we were we were. Um, I guess, uh, we, we were slaves to the whims of bank pricing and policy. Yep.
0: So, if they decide to yep. change the rules or be uncompetitive, like, eh, well, then that's, I'm going to struggle to meet target. Or go through a royal commission, get their name dragged through the mud, customers come in angry, or, and you're just like, <laughs> But like, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, we worked for them,
1: but we didn't do nothing wrong.
0: Mm. Like, that's other people.
1: You know, one yep. bad apple doesn't make the whole tree wrong, but that's how it came out. Yeah and we'll get on the Royal Commission later. Don't get me started on that one. But I needed to make notes, but, tangents. For later. Yeah, we've got to <laughs> retrieve back. I'll try to keep a mental note. But meeting that guy and being mm-hmm. like, what do you do? And he's like, I'm a broker. And knowing that he was making more money than me, doing half as much work, and had all the time in the world to go to the gym and look just a million bucks. I was like, that doesn't seem right. Because I, I always felt like, and the bank indoctrinates you that brokers are dodgy. Yes, as a the and and we—I was indoctrinated to that. And you hear the horror stories, yeah. But to meet this guy and and a few other professionals that you know um, through the through the ropes, where I was like, these people are like trusted advisors. There's nothing sketchy at all about these people. Where were these rumors from? Um, that was that was the beginning of okay. This some something doesn't sit right about working for a bank. Mm. Where did JK Finance began? It actually began. In a crown hotel room at 4am. Oh, don't start a story like that. No, no, no. I have to start a story (laughs) like that. Crown hotel room, 4am, my head in a toilet bowl. Lukey coming back from a poker match that he, according to him, shouldn't have lost. But he was ripped right at the end. He was winning for 99 one-hundredths of the (laughs) match in the last hand. He lost everything, according to him. And it was total nonsense. But... He'd just come back from a poker match, and I was I was purging in the bowl and mid hangover, and one. I was like, "We should we should totally be like our own into, we should be our own bank, like the <laughs> Bender thing." Yeah, was like with
0: blackjack and hookers, <laughs> blackjack and hookers. And but, if you don't know that reference, do um, yourself of a favour, <laughs> just just get on Futurama, please. It'll make us feel younger. <laughs> yeah. So so we were like it started off as like a joke because
1: we're at Crown Four. A, like a mobile banking conference, and um, right,
0: and they literally were just saying stuff that was just making us cringe. Like we're like, <laughs> yeah, well, that's their that's the bank's name for their brokers, isn't it? Mobile banker. Yeah, well, they're, not a, they're not a broker; they're a mobile banker. It's like
1: okay, yeah, well, like a mobile banker was just someone who did loans for the bank, and they weren't like they weren't supported by a branch. You had to go do yeah. it all yourself. Yeah, like a here's a laptop, like, here's a car, go ride twice as much as a broker's yep. supposed to, with only one brand to do it behind, and no support. You didn't get. The PA you didn't get anyone to help you key in deals didn't get anyone to help you follow up and the branch never was like hey call this person I think they need a loan because the branch had their own separate targets correct so we were that one man band blowing on a harmonica strumming a guitar kicking the cymbals pulling 60 to 80 hours a week and then you'd get told when it was time for your quarterly bonus which made up almost half of our pay at times that yep. oh there was an educational model that you didn't finish mm-hmm. even though there were no reminders yep. or no one would be told they had
0: to do it yep. And then they'd try to scuff you half your bonus, and you were just. Like, was customer satisfaction worked into the um, the metrics that would deliver your bonus as well? No. Okay. No, it was. That was a fun numbers. one in, in both branch and um, car industry mm. was um, similar to that for your bonus. So you're living off minimum wage, mm. and the rest is commission, which is why you know it's inbuilt for car salesmen and sometimes finance salespeople mm-hmm. to be dodgy because it's inbuilt into their pay structure yeah. to. Well, if I don't do this deal, my family doesn't eat potentially or I don't make this mortgage payment because I'm on minimum wage unless I hit these targets. So am I going to start bending the rules to get across the line? And that's how it starts. And that's how this corruption starts. And that probably goes a little bit into the Royal Commission tangent. But with car sales in particular, I had, yeah, there was a factor that was factored into your bonus for each month. Was customer satisfaction and anything less than a nine was seen as a failure. It wasn't good enough. Crazy. So I had one customer, and I've got to tell this story because I tell it all the time, my friends, and they're sick of me saying it. So I took him on probably four test drives, which is three more than most people go on. Mm. Three test drives for a 0% finance Camry. Stop it. So genuine set, not like hidden fees. No, no, no. 0% finance. Yeah. 27K drive away for a brand new Camry. There's no money in the car in terms of gross profit. Um, there's no money in the finance because it's 0%. Um, and he's just asking all the questions. Taking you something, which I do not have a problem with. Hmm. I'm all about customer service. Went that extra mile. Can you deliver it to my house, not in um, the dealership, which we don't do because there's too many risks. If it gets a dent, on, if a stone ship on the way to his house, we have to get that stone chip fixed. So there's too many factors so we don't do it. I got an exemption from the dealer principal to go deliver it to his house because it had been such a pain in the bum. I just wanted it over and done with. He's was like, fine. Deliver it to his house. Everything done. Review comes back. Nine out of 10. So anything less than a 10 is a failure. Nine out of 10. Brendan was excellent. There was nothing more Brendan could have done. Brendan went above and beyond and delivered great customer service. However... I stayed at the Shangri-La two weeks ago and in my hotel room were two bottles of water waiting for me when I arrived. I would expect the same if not more service from Toyota. There were no bottles of water in my car when it was delivered, hence the 9 out of 10. I missed my bonus for that month because of his expectation from a completely different industry. What? (laughs) I know. I know. That's and what true. that does to your soul is you then go, cool, next month I'm going to hustle harder and I'm going to start not taking any, and it chips away. Yeah, it does. So it no wonder you does. got to that position where you're like, head in the bowl, we're going to do our own thing. Yeah. So if you're going through the grind, you're just seeing sexy to make sexy, ripped, time for the gym. And actually, question for you on that then, what was most attractive other than his physique? because I suspect it was the time that he had to get that physique. He as funny as walked, that is. He
1: just had time to come out and have coffee with his uncle. Just, just time.
0: Who has time? You know, that
1: was my opinion. Like, who has time? And that was that was a huge attraction for me. Mm. Yeah. Um, that was just, you know, there's something about someone, like, mm. people talk about flashy cars, flashy yeah. this. What I've learned is, like, a true test of someone's wealth is, can they just squirrel, like, can, uh, if, they, if they're able to just go and use their time, in a luxurious way like this wednesday i'm just gonna go play golf that is like way more powerful than a ferrari yeah or have massages and bowling on a friday afternoon oh hey all right come on that's right that was team building that was team building it's today we don't do it every friday but it was also league's birthday hence the bowling but the massages are once a month we try to anyway Um, it's phenomenal yeah like because that was the other thing is that when you work in a large organization like that reward and recognition is just a box ticking exercise for them they don't genuinely 15% care.
0: off country road is not something to make fun of okay because like I really look for no I'm joking it's, it's
1: <laughs> <a joke. laughs> no but like the you know we just like the team works hard and yep. we want them to feel like they are appreciated that we really do love what they do and so mm. do the clients and, and to be in your peak condition like You need to be, you need to have time for yourself. You need to make sure you've got the right balance. And if you're all stressed and worked up, you're not giving 100% of yourself to the people that need you the the most at that time, which are are our clients. So, you know, for them to have a half an hour break in the middle of the day to get a massage and then put them in a completely better zone, everyone's gonna get better results out of that. Like, we don't set targets for anyone. There are no targets. There is no pressure from us. Every broker just gets to run things the way they want to. And it works. It definitely works. At our small, call it craft beer style level, it works. Maybe in a large organization like Aussie, it probably wouldn't work. Craft finance. At Aussie home loans, it wouldn't work Mm because they're too big. But that's where we want to keep things at this sort of craft, small scale level where we can be unique, we can be special. We can even be like some of Lark's releases. They're just getting more and more desirable and more and more expensive, like you know, we can we can aim for that rather than becoming the next twoies.
0: So you or the next Would a campaign. major part in that drive in your staff then just to jump mm. on a little tangent. How much of that is attributable to two things? One, well, the first one because the second one probably stems from it. One is your leadership, and the second the culture that that sets. Hmm.
1: Well, it's not just me because there's Luke as well. I need to be very clear about that. So it's Luke and I, and. Luke and I are really good at balancing each other. We, when setting up a business, set it up in a way that it is imminently fair. So if I have a wild idea and I wanna try it out, I'll pay for it. And if it works out, I'll reap the benefits. Maybe there will be some ancillary benefits for Luke, but the people we are, that's cool. If Luke wants to try something, vice versa. If there's something we both agree on, we invest in it equally. But it's very much the case that on a lot of things we have the similar mentality, but on a lot of things we don't. And that actually helps us because it balances each other out. Because I'm very
0: much throw down cash. Let's do this. Woo. It'll kill. And you Luke's did have like, the idea Hang. while you're at crown with your head in the bowl. So it makes that's sense. What I'm that's saying. carried through. <laughs> like I'll have these like spurts
1: of ideas where I'll be like, this is a great idea. And then Luke will refine it or he'll have an idea and then I'll come in and refine it. And that's where like, We'll throw nuggets at each other and chip them into actual refined goodness. Yeah. Um, and that's been a key part of where we've gone with this. And so, you know, there's an element of good cop, bad cop mm-hmm. that we have to play. You're talking about leadership and culture. Um, there's an element of that. Um, but I think both of us have had to step up and move from being a a broker who does a job, yeah. who does makes widget for someone, in this case, helps people get money, to actually running a team managing the personalities in the team and just making sure that if so-and-so has said something and it's upset so-and-so that we are there to balance the scales and not tell people what to do but help people um we we say we just want to help people be the best be the best versions of themselves to have the the life that they see themselves like wanting to have so we asked them 12 months ago where did you want to be now today how close are you to where you saw yourself 12 months ago to where you you projected you want to be? But where do you want to be 12 months from now and how can we help you get to that spot? And that might be, you know, maybe making goals a little bit more realistic, but it might even be saying that's probably a too realistic goal and you're underselling yourself here. You know, if you did X, you could achieve Y you'd have your, not do more, but you could attain that a lot sooner than 12 months. You know, don't sell yourself short. Is that a personal conversation that you have with each team member? Yeah, because mm. no one's the same. There is no playbook that says, do ABC for each person and it will result in happier, better off people. It's just, it's, it's more about just knowing which questions to ask and everyone's different. But as long as your goal is the same as theirs, which is, I want you to be
0: happier in 12 months than you are now. Mm. And what would it take to achieve another higher level of happiness? And what do you think the, just playing off the contrast between your craft finance business and your big 2 E's big bank business, how much of a factor do you think it is for that staff member sitting opposite the person that pays them, Mm. putting it super bluntly, versus that personal connection? In contrast to your bigger business, where you're more removed, you're a small cog in a big machine. Do you think that that factor of being a small cog in a big machine versus I'm sitting across the person whose name is on the door? Mm-mm-mm. Do you feel that that conversation, because organizations have your performance development that you have to do once a yeah. year and set your smart goals and all those sorts of things, exactly right. Um mid-year reviews and all those sorts of things and they kind of get lost as a HR nuisance that you just have to fulfill otherwise, you know, they'll hold it against you. Do you think that's part of it is because they're sitting opposite yourself? Not just yourself and your personality and your natural leadership but yourself because you're, you are the business that your conversation with them holds a different weight.
1: Uh, there's Maybe there's an element of that but I think it also depends on the person. I think in big organizations it's hard to find people that really care. And I think that's the difference because you're going to find that someone who, if their baby is the business, then they genuinely care. You care about your babies. Yep. Um, but shout out to, you know, a longtime mentor and forever will be boss man, uh, Dirk Ludwig, who was one of the most, if not one of the most effective leaders in the country. Um, it doesn't matter financial services or otherwise, but he genuinely cared about each of us uh, yep. and his support and his style of coaching, um, you know, always constantly challenged us to be better versions of ourselves and it was almost, it was the same time that we had that conference and I sort of lost a bit of the shine on, you know, uh, mm-hmm. on working for a big company, that we lost him as a leader. He right. moved on to, to Greener Pastures, he got promoted which is fine, mm. but then not having someone who we felt genuinely cared and like showed the same Love and attention, and attention to detail, and that sort of thing. Uh, nothing against the guy who replaced him. Absolutely yeah, not. Right. He was a good manager, but Dirk was for us was a leader. Like people would like, he's like ride and die. That's how people felt about him. They would die for Dirk, and he and he had that loyalty in the bank. There were a lot of people that didn't leave the bank because
0: Dirk was their leader. The moment he left, they just didn't have that personal loyalty anymore. And do you think that poor personal loyalty came down to the fact, and you said it? He genuinely cared yeah 100% so is that the differentiation between the two then is potentially your odds of getting a branch manager that genuinely cares that isn't there temporarily to get a few stats on board and get promoted to the office because that's a more consistent gig than the bricks and mortar mm. versus you yeah. genuinely care because this business is your baby and the people you hire you genuinely care about them so the conversation and therefore they would you know the loyalty is there because
1: they know we're not fluffing them yeah like, they know it's not like a HR spiel. Yeah. Like, I've been where they are. I've done what they've done. I think that's, like, a large part of it. I think if I hadn't gotten married young, if I hadn't had kids young, if I hadn't gone through what everyone else has gone through, like, I don't have that life experience. I don't have the ability to relate. And I think, like, the the life yards that I've done has given me an ability to relate to people, and which is unique because not many people have kids when they're 22. mm and not many people go and live overseas for four years. So, different culture, different language. Um, and then being a dad young, like it just – it. I could have done this. I could have started it all later. And I would have had that life experience maybe 10 years from now. And who knows? I might have started this 10 years from now. But it just enabled me to start it earlier. And that ability to relate, like the people that are with us know, like what I say is genuinely what I mean. Like there's no – fluffing around
0: or manipulation behind it that pre-experience gave you credentials for them to listen that's a very good way of putting it yeah and what would you say you know you just mentioned so you so what age rewind even further what made you want to go work overseas (laughs) because that's like how old were you when that happened i was 19
1: (laughs) (laughs) when i left when i left home who does that
0: I just, um, other than you know, doing a gap year and just getting drunk in Europe that, for a year, that was the idea. Like, I like, oh. I need
1: a gap year to like reset because I am just not interested in uni. I had no interest. Like, I loved accounting when we did it in high school, and. And I got to, you know, run a small business and do profit and loss. I'm like, this is sick. <laughs> we had small business week. Shout out Maranatha Christian College. And, um, and things Lewis, James, and I uh, ran a hot dogs thing that did like hash browns and dim sims, like fried dim sims. We killed it. Um, we had Lewis's sales. I was there as the the chef, and uh, as well as sales with Lewis, and and, pro- and s- sourcing the the cheapest possible goods so we can maximise our margins. And um, James was the bean counter, and he's an accountant now, funnily enough. Love it. And um, and yeah, and that was like, oh my, like, accounting is sick, business is sick. And then I did accounting at uni. I'm like, oh my goodness, I would rather watch paint dry. Like this was
0: dry as I remember sitting through macro and micro economics in uni going. What? <laughs> I understand but like
1: <laughs> it's so dry. My soul. I know and I was just like there's no I didn't know why I was doing it. I was yeah. told that once you you finish high school, you finish VCE, you get a degree and then you then that's that's life. That's how life is supposed to operate. I just did a math statistics business statistics course which i knew 100 i opened the book i said i don't know a thing in here and i just drew for an hour and a half until i could leave and i was on the train leaving and there was a girl that had just finished teaching english in poland and she was like yeah you can teach english overseas and make money and travel and i was like this is amazing so i looked into europe and it was too expensive and you needed a degree of some kind um if you didn't have a degree then it was like you didn't make enough to actually live so you yeah. had to have like Parental help, yeah. side gigs, or rack up debt. But then you looked at countries like I think it was Vietnam and Northeast China, not other parts of China where it was more popular. You they were more p- uh, particular; they needed yeah. a degree. But in Northeast China, which is um, they call it the head of the chicken. If you look at China, it looks a bit like a rooster. It's just below Siberia, um, and they didn't need a degree. And I was like, that's about as different from Australia as it gets. Hundred percent. Negative twenty-five for four months of the year Ooh. and I was I'm like, I want to try that that's cool so I went and I broke the news to my parents saying I really want to go here and um, uh, Josh Smith he uh, he um, went on who wants to be a millionaire or something to that effect I can't remember but he won money and I was selling my stuff and he's like man why are you selling your stuff I'm like oh because I want to go to China and I don't need the stuff if I go and I don't have enough money he's like hey, I'll buy it off you for whatever you paid for it just so I can support your dreams. And I'm like, bro, Josh, that's crazy, man. Thank you. So he won money, helped me out. And ta-da, I'm landing in China, stupidly enough, in board shorts and a singlet because it was 35 degrees in Melbourne when I left. I got off the plane at Harbin. It was nighttime with wind chills, about negative 30. So I put on every item of clothing I had. I looked like the Michelin man because I I couldn't lower my arms because of all the layers. And the, the, my new boss looked at me like, oh, no, I've hired someone with learning disabilities because why <laughs> wouldn't you bring winter gear? Because you're 19 from Melbourne. I was 19, you know. Um, so, yeah, and I stayed for a while there. And then through the course of things, it was a really uh, interesting experience because I didn't realise up until that point how dependent I'd been for myself, for my sense of identity uh, on my social circle. So... Unpack that. Yeah. What does so, that mean? Like, everything I did was mainly because it was my friends did it. Yeah. So, being on the ass end of the world, like literal frozen butthole of the world, it is it is a place that they used to send political prisoners to. That's the foundation of the city. And then they found oil and they made the political prisoners, uh, you know, make the oil fields and they became national heroes. But, like, literally what used to be a hellhole that they'd send prisoners to because it was so cold and, and miserable... And um, I had no friends. The, the glory shine of it after three months had like worn off. And I was like, I miss my family. I miss my friends. I don't know what to do because every part of my free time was taken up with doing things with them. And did you, sorry, should have asked this earlier. Did you speak the language when you moved No, out? You didn't speak no. Mandarin. My friend, Chris, he taught me Nihao and a few other ones. Nihao, how's gen. And I, that was about it. <laughs> so yeah, I couldn't speak anything <laughs> when I got there. Um, and it was, it was not like a Beijing Shanghai city where there's heaps yeah. of lo- like, you know, other foreign people there. It's more no, rural. There was like a grand total of maybe 50 foreigners in the whole city of say 3 million. So if you saw another white person, and I'm not saying that racially, it's just a non-Chinese person yep. on the street, you would like, oh my gosh, you'd point across the road. Gross. Oh my gosh, this is a white person. And, you'd, <laughs> and it would be like this instant bonding moment. Like, where are you from? America. Ah, oh, that's awesome. Because <laughs> we're speaking English, and it felt you felt parched. The ability yeah, yeah. to speak English was um, was almost like you know a cold cup of water on a hot day. But we had this bar called the Orange Bar that we almost burnt out with fireworks. But it um, <laughs> it was like a melting pot for that half of the city and even right. the other half. Like people would go there um, on a Sunday night because we worked Tuesday to Sunday. And we'd go there on a Sunday night and drink and chat and talk about everything. winge philosophy, politics, like nothing was off the table. Uh, recreational drugs was a funny one. Um, and we'd all have these really interesting conversations. And it was so cool because we could talk. I was talking about topics I'd never been challenged to speak about. Um, Your worldview was getting reshaped. Yeah, 100%. So, yeah, and, and not having my friendship circle around me forced me to do things that or explore things that I was like, you know, I genuinely like this mm. and I would have never have known yep. because my friendship circle in Melbourne would not have, I'm not going to say they wouldn't have let me, but I would never have been able to. Yep. So, uh, I watched wrestling for the first time. Uh, we watched Wrestlemania and drink, we, and this American guy, had these games because he loved wrestling and he had these drinking games for wrestling and I was like, this makes wrestling so much fun.
0: When you tweet, I get this now.
1: Yeah, like I get this now, and and like he spoke. He's like, we know it's fake. It doesn't mean it's any less cool. Mm. Like it's still a very physical, cool-looking thing. Entertainment. I was yep. like, that's right. Uh, another one was Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, um, playing fourth edition Dungeons and Dragons because what are you going to do in winter? It's flat too, so it's not like there's hills can carve up the slopes. Yeah. So, um, and another, and then the other one was oh, I did a lot of reading. I finished Harry Potter all books in seven days because I just had all this free time. Yeah. And. Um, and the other one was Warhammer, which is essentially yep. painted miniatures. You're gonna make it, it? Yeah, got a mate that does that. Yeah, loves it. Yeah, it's great. I still, I still love it. I still mm. do it, and um, don't get time to play. But I like, you know, painting and, and building the minis. But yeah, it was, it was really um, an exploration of self. And it was funny that once I grew comfortable with the idea of exploring who I was, that's how I met. That's when. I, that's when I met Yo Yo, and, and which Yo-Yo. is da 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 da. My now wife uh, yep. of. How long has it been now?
0: Twelve years coming up in May. Oh so, wow, that's yeah. phenomenal! So, Congratulations, man. Thanks, man. To all of the above.
1: Yeah. So then, that, I mean, that's that's how I ended up in China.
0: Long story short. What a time! And you're so. It's. I work at a university currently, and I did youth work previously. And one of my favorite things doing youth work was taking a bunch of our year 12s from Montana South, so you know, upper middle class, eastern suburbs of Victoria, um, and taking them over to Cambodia for a trip for a couple of weeks, That's wild. and going out to a regional village, and true story, what having them help a gentleman with one arm that had his big toe from his right foot, and his middle toe from his left foot as his fingers oh wow um i think he was missing a foot as well and just had a stump run rings around him building a house hammer in hand wow nail in mouth and this 19 year old kid was like yeah i'm an apprentice tradie i can totally do this and coming back to me almost in tears just going this guy was a ref not a refugee, but um hid in the jungles during the Khmer Rouge and managed to hide out there with his family, um but then ran into a few landmines. And this entire village that we were um helping is a very loose word. yeah, um build a school slash church and um a few huts for. Had all hidden in the jungle during the Khmer Rouge, and were reemerging, weren't recognised as an actual people or an actual town, wow. and we're helping them establish as a town coming out of that terrible um, time. And watching these eighteen-year-old spoiled kids' worldview just go, yeah, mind explode, blown. and just be completely different ever since, because it's yeah. like, yeah, it's, and learning about what happened in Cambodia during their life, well some of them probably pretty early in their life, but just before they were born. Mm. And just like, oh, I'm not going to whinge about the same things that I would have whinged about if I hung around the same people yeah. in the same environment mm-hmm. with the same problems. Cause you know, yep, sure. If having four assignments due tomorrow is the hardest thing that you've ever had to do in your life, that's the hardest thing you've ever had to do in your life. And sure, compared to old mate that's just reemerged from the jungle it can't really compare but in your world that's the hardest struggle you've ever had so yes that is technically stressful however to be able to handle the future stresses of life you're probably going to need something to stretch you a little bit more and reshape that world you to be able to have the capacity capacity and the wisdom to know with your head in the bowl at crown <laughs> going I think I know what I need to do here Yeah, Because it's an interesting comparison uh, that you've probably made. You're being in uni going, I need to do something else. And you're being in a big bank and going, I need to do something else. Mm. I've never put those two together. That's interesting. Yeah, it's not. It's not incorrect.
1: It's, It's pretty similar, actually. Being stuck in a spot and going sort of start laterally
0: thinking, how can I shake things up or shift things? Has that always been something that you've that's been a personality trait of yours to want to shake things up and thing laterally?
1: I'd say I've never considered it that way, but you speaking it out and me reflecting, it appears so. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was I was really pushing for us to end this lease and change location. Because in my gut, I wouldn't say it was a calculated super calculated decision, but in my gut I was like. We need to make a significant change if we want things to be better and different. Yeah, like, the, the one of my favorite quotes of all time is "doing the same thing and expecting a different result" is the definition of insanity. Yep. So, you know, I we need to find these like little uh, break points where, uh, and in some novels that I've read, where it talks about you know Marvel continuity of multi multiverses and stuff, shatter points like a yep. moment in time yep. where. A decision can completely change the direction of or flashpoint if you DC, sure. Yeah, yeah. Flashpoint if you DC, <laughs> um, but you know, and and I feel like being keeping your finger on the pulse and um, taking time out from just living life to work on your life and treating your life as a malleable, changeable thing. Yeah. So a lot of people they get railroaded. Like I felt I was being railroaded to uni job like high school uni job blah blah, blah 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 and a lot of people end up railroaded on that and there's nothing wrong with that because no. some people enjoy the ride 100% and I think the, one of the lies being sold to our generation is that everyone can be an entrepreneur everyone can you know can make it big and do their own thing and follow their dreams the harsh reality the is one. yeah, not everyone yep. uh, can not everyone has to yep. and I think there's some unnecessary anxiety stress and disappointment being created because if comparison is the thief of joy then expectations and misaligned expectations is the catalyst
0: to an, a horrible life to, to an overwhelming sense of failure of failure I've made that and social media put a magnifying glass on it because you're now connected mm-hmm. with all of your friends that you met when you were 18 <coughs> kicking ass and taking names and putting the best of their life online. And you just hit the nail on the head for me as part of the, the why I wanted to start this podcast. And I said it previously in my last chat with Rowan, Um, shout out to Rowan, Um, was our generation got told that from day dot was follow your dreams. You can be anything, which is bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. I want to be Superman. Not going to happen. I want to, you know, (laughs) either of us being a basketball player professionally is not going to happen because we are vertically challenged we we could try and we make it good but to be anything and to then have social media come along and play on that underlying sense that we should have been more we should have been better I should have my friend got to this point in their career by this stage why aren't I there Whoa, whoa 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 one you're not that person two your circumstances are completely different and also you don't know what the price of entry was to get to where they got to you don't know the maths equation that went into result in that little snapshot that you've just seen on TikTok. and go oh why aren't i there well you don't know their. you don't know all of their story you don't know what prices they have had to pay to have a business partner rip them off steal their business and then have to pivot and do something else all that absolute random who wants to be a millionaire? So what? So maybe yours won it or like got really far on it or
1: Oh he man, he did really well, so it's public knowledge he won a hundred grand. And at like a super young age he was eighteen. Yeah. And um and you know what? Shout out to him and he maybe he can feature on the next podcast. <laughs> but Josh Scott, um Josh Josh Sanscott. Oh he's uh, he I remember him. Yes I know him. And he was He just had a kid. Yeah, he just had a kid. Congrats, but, Josh. But I remember him taking photos way back in high school and being like Josh what are you doing why are you taking photos da, 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 da. shout out to Seawolf as he is now professional owner, who's done photos for like Vogue and all the major labels he's got you know picture books that he sells he has made a really good career he's taken photos with Kobe wow. um, some of the big names that have come out like he as if photography is like um, if you measure the success by the type of people you're taking photos of I don't see how you can do more yep. than what Josh has been able to achieve. Right. But like he's an amazing example of someone who ignored the haters, followed his passion, just look gr- definition of grind and, and improvement of just taking photos at clubs, taking photos on his yeah, walks I remember down him the doing street, that, yeah, and like never f- and being humble about it too. Yeah. So you know I I sincerely look up to him and what he's been able to achieve, and um, even though our lives have taken us down very different paths. He's just a man that I have an infinite amount of respect for just because, you know, I know I know that people were like get a real job type, you know, talk to him and he stuck through it and through hard work, perseverance and, and an amount of, you know, raw talent, he definitely managed to be successful at what he does.
0: So, yeah, just that shout is, out to Josh Sanscott. I think I might have to reach out to him. Cause <laughs> yeah, that's, definitely. Because that's case in point is you can look at that story so many different ways. And he could use it for inspiration as you do, or you could mm-hmm. use it as self commiseration as some people do and go, well, why don't I have that? And that's Right, I reckon anyone who doubted him is like unfriended him. They don't want to see that stuff. People like that don't want to see other people succeed. It why makes is that you What is it? Do you think that actually upsets? All right. Tangent time. Haters.
1: Tangent time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Little segment. Need to get the jingle. Too. Yeah. I can't think of it. Whiskey pouring. I don't know. Whatever. Haters. Great topic. Question for yourself then. Name and shame you hate them I'm kidding. Um <laughs> but what were so other than, you know, you moving to China at nineteen in singlet and shorts <laughs> um I'm sure you would have had some people giving you advice then. Um as I know I did when I dropped out of uni as well Mm. Um, dropped out such a harsh word decided to not continue down the path of university anyways the what were some of the things that were said to you at that point in your journey and then what were some of the things that were said to you when you were at the bank starting to look at going into being your own business oh man what was the things that were leveled at you
1: along that what you like you're crazy you've got you got entry into the course you're going into why would you abandon it you know um the other one was yeah, like when i when i left the bank it was like to my family i was like bro like you've you've hit branch manager like it doesn't get like that's as that's as solid and as good as it gets why would you leave yep. that yeah um look i know that there are elements of people that you know would say i went overseas and I came back with a non-Australian partner in life, and I know th- I know for a really? fact that there definitely there would really? have been there would have been people that would say stuff behind my back about that, and you know, and I can't point out and say any one person who did because no one ever, to, to their credit and to my face, ever said anything impolite. But it was one of those things that I was de- I'd heard people make comments before about about you know, say old mate who came back from other foreign country with a foreign. You knew
0: it uh, was an attitude that they held.
1: Yeah, that's right. Mm. And, um, that, that, that potentially could be something that people would say. And, um, my attitude throughout the whole thing was, uh, it honestly doesn't matter. And it's just fuel for me to basically prove, prove people wrong, I guess, or just to be, just to be better, just to be a better version of me and better than what other people might be
0: leveling at me yeah yeah sorry for those that can't see which is anybody listening we're um at a fun stage of we've finished our dram of like christmas cask release 12 and uh we are unfurling these delicious looking cigars where are they from So, these are Bahia, Brazil. So, they're hand-rolled, I think. From Brazil. Have you been to Brazil? No. One to go, though. It is a beautiful part of the world. Humble brag. I had the intense privilege of getting over there for a work conference that happened to coincide with the World Cup. Oh, yes. And happened to be on Copacabana Beach with apparently 440,000 other Brazilians for the World Cup opener watching on two big screens as Brazil luckily won and that was an experience of a lifetime seeing, you hear about how much the South, uh, South Americans love their football but to actually be in a crowd when Brazil kicks the first goal of the World Cup oh, that and everybody insane. jumps up and starts hugging, just complete strangers. Yeah. We're just sitting there and then a complete stranger comes up Wraps their arms around you, kisses you on the cheek, and that's you're just like, okay, this is what we're doing now. Yeah, hi, friend. <laughs> my name's my name's Brendan, and I like hugs. But moving back to our previous conversation about alcohol, caipirinha, and for those Brazilians that haven't listened, I'm sorry for how I've just pronounced that. <laughs> but caipirinha, it's made with a <sighs> Alcohol called cachasa, it's made from sugarcane. That with brown sugar and lime is just delicious. And we're both attempting to get these cigars going, but they These are, are very thick. These are, um, are these are Churchill Torres, I think. They're they're one of the largest sizes of cigars you can get. So um, when when what when did your cigar journey start? Want to watch the last dance with Michael Jordan? (laughs) Far out. (laughs) But, well, how come you haven't poured me whiskey like he had in his glass during the last dance? Did you you see how much he had? You go back and watch the last dance, watch his whiskey glass, and it is two-thirds full to the rim at all times. Yeah, he's a big chap, though. Mmm.
1: Sorry, there's a bit of a gap there in the, in the talking. We're just getting these started. So these are in a Maduro wrapper, which is a darker wrapper. And um, it pairs better with darker scotches um, and coffee. But I find it's quite good with uh, some of the sweeter stuff as well because I like the counterbalance.
0: That's it. And that counterbalance, I think. That's actually a brilliant segue for a question I had earlier for the yin to your yang within your business mm. is... Sounds like the balance that you and your business partner have struck from the outset is one one of the successes to your business, a credit to both of your humility, because to have two males of the same age um, in a highly competitive industry where there's a lot of numbers being thrown around, to have that kind of humility and personality mix and both be good leaders from the sound of it is um that's a super rare combination I'm in the (laughs) humble brag the vast number of people that I know and have interacted with I've seen I've seen personalities like yourself leading a business seen personalities from the description you've given of your business partner leading a business in their own right but never together
1: Mm.
0: how the hell do you negotiate that relationship um being I guess, being pretty
1: like from the outset you have to and don't take this the wrong way but you have to treat it like like a marriage so like expectations are the key I think the number one killer of relationships is mismatched expectations whether it's about dinner about the cleaning about whose roles are what in a family uh, family unit whether it's two people or two people with kids etc in a business it's quite the same so we've managed to balance what we do and the value we contribute and yep. every and every couple of months we will take out time to reset our expectations and make sure that we clear the decks and that if there are any ill feelings which happens sometimes yep. because we don't talk about them we bottle them up we feel a certain way and then when we hash it out and we talk it out we realize that we were being silly or mm. maybe the other person just didn't realize and it's that sense of I guess willing to forgive and forget is big one willing to understand that no one's perfect and willing to I guess make sure that we appreciate and value each other's role because we do different things and that's how it sort of works because we know that we
0: fulfill different functions together. Right so one was that a a deliberate conversation you had at the outset or you just figured it out and two how do you have those conversations those regular check-ins for lack of a better term? Oh down at the shooting range at golf (laughs) but I literally had this conversation
1: with a guy today and going back to the whole social media expectation thing, I'll touch back on that. But I told him, he said, because he didn't know what he wanted to do. He had the capability to do so much, but the amount of options he had was overwhelming him and his partner. And so, he really didn't know what he wanted to do. And it Your business to, partner, this no, is. No, no, no. This is oh. just a random client. Oh, right. Ability to borrow, ability to invest. He had all these options and he didn't know what he wanted to do because he was uh, exposed <laughs> to derision, paral- decision paralysis. So we got, my my boys are here and they're asking me if I I want cuddles and- uh, We can pause. Yeah, we'll pause for one second.
0: Absolutely. We'll be right back.